2: Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a RotoViz podcast. This is a September 25th episode, and we remain dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we are talking to Eric Moody, staff writer for the Athletic Fantasy, co host of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, and a contributor for 4 for 4 Football and Fantasy Data NFL. Eric is an inspiration for all of you out there that want to break into the industry. He's a true grinder that has become an integral part part of so many of the biggest fantasy sites around just by hard work. He's going to bring us key insight into a critical week three where your start sit debates are as unclear as ever. A great follow on Twitter at Eric and Moody. Fantastic to bring him back to the bag to talk about week three. Eric, sir, what is good?
1: Hey, Mike, my lawyer says I don't have to answer that question. But <laughs> in all seriousness, I am doing phenomenal. Uh it's great. You know, we've got NFL football that's back. I know it's been a tumultuous year, you know, with COVID nineteen, but it's good to see football back. But unfortunately, you know, we did have a bloodbath, you know, that was week two, a lot of season ending injuries to some very key players. But but you know, we're obviously here to help everyone navigate that. So I'm always down for talking about football, my friend.
2: Oh, fantastic, man. And, and listen, this is the week to have you on. There is triage across the entire NFL landscape. So let's get right into it. Let's go around the league. I want to get your perspective on the fallout from one of the most brutal injury weeks I can remember. Have to start at the top here. Saquon Barkley with the Giants. If he wasn't pick one, he was certainly pick two at almost every single league. He's out, torn ACL there. He's going to be out for the year. What do you do with Saquon? What's your reaction there for the Giants and for fantasy owners?
1: Yeah, it it was a tough scenario to watch. Uh, When you look at the Giants, I'm like, it's impossible for them to replace uh, Saquon. And what he brings to the table. I'm like, this is a running back that's averaged nearly twenty-three opportunities and twenty-one PPR fantasy points per game in his career. You're looking at a guy that's dependable, an RB two or better finish in eighty-one percent of his career games. Here's the reality it's a tough situation for Barkley, you know, considering he's eligible for a contract extension like after this season. I would say the only positive in a scenario like this is that the injury happened so early is that he'll have adequate time to recover, you know, going into next season. Uh, for the Giants, Offensively, injury is devastating. I'm like the team was already struggling, and now they'll be forced to really look towards Daniel Jones and say, "Hey, Daniel, you're going to carry this entire offense for you or for us." Because the the whole thing was built around Barkley, uh, which is crazy. You know, I'm like his ability is a is a runner and as a receiver out of the backfield, it's really easy to build an offense around him. In all seriousness, but when he goes down, you know the question remains: Okay, how are we going to fill that void? I'm like the Giants now are looking at Deion Lewis. And Wayne Gallman to fill the void. So I think at the end of the day, we're looking at a running back by committee. You know, after Barkley went down, I'm like, Lewis was given 15 opportunities and finished with 46 total yards and a touchdown. It's worth noting that Gallman was a healthy scratch for that game. I know it's also um, rumors and things out there. It made me confirm uh, by now, but with uh, Devontae Freeman is uh, scheduled to visit, you know, with the team uh, on Tuesday. And so this could make the scenario even more complicated from a fantasy perspective. I think it's important for everyone out there. you got to have the right expectations when evaluating this backfield. My preference is Lewis over Gallman, just due to his pass-catching ability, if it comes down between those two. But remember, with Freeman, we're not getting peak Devontae Freeman like in his days in Atlanta. But that's my take on the backfield, Mike.
2: Yeah, Gallman wasn't inactive last week, but certainly now new coaching staff, it's not a one-for-one replacement. People have those memories, the vividness bias of that Deion Lewis carrying them to a fantasy championship a few years ago with the Patriots. I do not think this coaching staff thinks that, nor do I think that's realistic for pretty much now the entire season. So I agree. It's murky at best. Certainly the early season schedule for the Giants is bad. I do think Deion Lewis is the preference moving forward, but you have to keep an eye on it the next one that kind of broke a little bit late was Cortland Sutton. When he initially went out of that game against Denver, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be a season-ending injury, but it is. He is gone for the rest of the year, so now you have Denver, not only without Sutton, but Drew Locke for quite some time. So what's the fallout there in the in the wide receivers out with the uh, with the Broncos?
1: Yeah, and, I, and I'll kind of weave in some Drew Locke uh, analysis, too, into this, but you know, I'll be transparent to everyone out there. I'm like, this news sucks. I'm like, i, I followed Sutton closely uh, since I lived in the Dallas area. I know he attended college at uh, SMU here uh, so it's tough to see a guy like that that I've, I've kind of watched like a sin you know into a, into you know a breakout NFL receiver uh, go down uh, but his his absence does free up a, a high number of targets. Uh, you look at Jerry Judy his collegiate body of work is well documented at this point. He's an obvious uh, immediate beneficiary I'll say and, and should be owned in all formats but I want to encourage everyone out there you know don't forget about KJ Hamler. You know, who I nicknamed the discount Henry Ruggs in this year's draft. Now, this is a guy in Hamler, you know, who had 41 plays of 15 or more yards in the slot since 2018, according to Pro Football Focus. That was the third most in the FBS. Now, Hamler and Judy. Both finished with the same number of touchdowns on throws of 30 or more yards downfield last season in college. Now, Hamler finishes Penn State career ranked 16th in receiving yards and tied for the 13th most touchdown receptions in school history. Now This is a receiver who's very lethal in space. And I think it's someone that's a very viable, we'll say, well, consolation prize if you do miss out on Judy uh, in waivers this week. Now, the injury situation to kind of turn this back to, uh, to Drew Locke. Uh, really kind of let some of the air out of the balloon for Denver, like offensively, you know, they had a lot of momentum going into the season, but I know Adam Schefter pointed out, uh, I think that they were saying that he could miss at least two weeks. I'm thinking it's going to be more and that lock wouldn't even return until after the Broncos week eight by week. Now you've got Jeff Driscoll under center. Now it isn't as dire as many think. I'm like, you look at the Broncos schedule. I'm like, they got the Bucks, Jets, Patriots, Dolphins, and Chiefs over the next five games. So it's not as daunting as you may think, just thinking, oh my goodness, an offense led by Jeff Driscoll. So, you know, that's my take on Sutton and Locke. You know, again, there's always opportunity and chaos, Mike.
2: Hamler is a very sneaky waiver ad. With Driscoll back there, he likes to scramble. I think that played into part of why Denver was able to keep the Steeler game close, Eric, because they didn't prepare for Driscoll. Mm -hmm. He does make plays. He extends plays. Hamler has the speed. I don't think the drop-off is going to be very big at all, and I think K.J. Hamler could step into a huge role this week, very under the radar. They are underdogs at home with Fangio's defense against the Bucks coming in. I think that Driscoll can do a decent job, and I think Hamler is stepping in and is really ready to pop. Agree there. Christian McCaffrey with the Panthers. This one hurts as well. He is not out for the entire year, but high ankle sprains can linger. Saquon Barkley had one last year. He did come back, and he was effective, I would say. I wouldn't say he was dominant, but he was effective. But he's a strong guy. Legs are nice and powerful. McCaffrey's a little bit of a smaller guy. Don't know how this is going to affect him, but what are your thoughts on McCaffrey? When do you think he'll be back? And then again, are we finding replacements for him in Carolina that are reasonable? Is Mike Davis really the answer?
1: Yeah. And a good observation too, with the high ankle sprain, you know, I was going to bring that up about Saquon, uh, you know, with last year where he kind of came back too early. Reality is, I'm like, it's, it's really tough to see, you know, another bell cow back uh, go down. And to your point, these, these high ankle sprains can linger. But one thing with McCaffrey, I'm like, he's averaged like an insane 27 opportunities and 29 PPR fantasy points per game over his last 18 games. Now I do know uh, Virginia, Azakis of Inside Injuries. She also writes for the Athletic as well. Mentioned that McCaffrey is more likely to miss around six weeks. And again, you don't want a guy to come back too soon from a high ankle sprain. Now, Mike Davis, you know he's going to be the the clear beneficiary while McCaffrey's out. I'm like he had a strong training camp, and uh, he can immediately fill in for McCaffrey. Uh, you know, moving forward. And, and he did a pretty good job, you know, thinking about um, last week too, when uh, McCaffrey went down, I'm like, uh, Davis came in, uh, had eight receptions uh, while the Panthers were playing from behind. So th- that's obviously a good sign when you look at the, the opportunity void that McCaffrey leads, uh, leaves, excuse me. Uh, you think about Matt rule, right? Uh, everything in the media suggests that he has confidence in Davis uh, moving forward. And and at least in my opinion, to kind of tie this into fantasy and with waivers, uh, I think he's the priority add for me this week. And I think he's someone that's on the RB2 radar for me, uh, kind of mid-range RB2, just to kind of bring all that together for you.
2: Yeah, and if you look at their schedule, Eric, so – they're at the Chargers next week. They host Arizona. They're at Atlanta, host Chicago, at New Orleans, home Atlanta again. Then they go to week nine. Their bye week is not until week 13. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that he could be out until maybe at home, Tampa Bay, week 10. Mm -hmm. This is going to be quite some time. I was encouraged by Davis's usage. I think Curtis Samuel will mix in a little bit, a little stuff out of the backfield there. But if you're looking for a, a, a guy who can catch it and get the goal line carries, it's probably Davis. It's a step down. But given the triage, man, we've gone through it. It's really not that bad. Yeah. Uh, next one, Jimmy G. Not sure if he's going to be back yet. But of course, we've seen Nick Mullins before. He can do a decent job. What do you think here about Jimmy G with San Francisco?
1: Yeah, just given the way that the 49ers offense is built, I'm like, don't rush Jimmy G back, especially when you're dealing with these high ankle sprains, especially for a quarterback. Uh, You know, his absence in a way does downgrade, you know, the offense. You look at Nick Mullins. I'm like, he completed, what, eight of 11 passes for 71 yards and an interception against the Jets last week. Uh, Just kind of going back even further, I'm like, this is a guy that threw 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions in his action last season. And I don't think he's really worth a waiver claim, you know, outside of like a really, really deep, like two QB or super flex type of format. I'm like, if you really need a quarterback, you're like, oh, my God, Jimmy G went down. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'd rather see someone go for like someone like Gardner Minshew, who's I'm surprised to see his ownership percentages like at ESPN and Yahoo, like so low.
2: Totally agree. Yeah,
1: Yeah. it just blows my mind. Or even a guy like uh, like Justin Herbert, you know, assuming, you know, Tyrod's out. But I really think when you look at this offense, like the only 49ers receiver, you know, that you can trust is is really George Kittle, you know, at the tight end position. You know, but I do see them continuing to lean heavily on the running game with Mullins under center. So that's my take.
2: Great stuff across the board. Let's step away for one second. We're going to hear this word from Rotoviz.
0: Hello folks, Colin Kelly here from roto Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know, as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a roto NFL pass right now on the roto website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRADIO at checkout, or by going to roto forward slash podcast for more information. And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can write and review on your
2: favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. All right, let's turn our attention, Eric, to some of the hot waiver wire pickups from week three. So these are guys who I think are going to be targeted. We're taping this on Tuesday. So people have probably added them right away. How about Jarek McKinnon there with the Niners for Raheem Mostert? He's out, Tevin Coleman's hurt. Jarek McKinnon, all those injuries, all the frustration with so much athleticism, but now it looks like he's going to have a chance to shine there in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and he's someone that I recommend – Anyone that's listening pick up as an injury fill-in, like if you lost uh, Saquon or McCaffrey. I'm like, he had 77 yards and a touchdown on three attempts versus the Jets last week. It does have a favorable matchup against the Giants in week three. You know, the Giants' defense, I guess they continue to be, uh, let's see, an abomination? Yeah. Yeah. An abomination. I'll, I'll go with that. You know, like uh, over the last five games, <laughs> you look at the Giants and so like they've allowed you know top running back scores to average 101 total yards and 18 PPR fantasy points per game. And also, as a gentle reminder, David Montgomery had a monster game against him last week. So I really do like McKinnon.
2: Yeah, that's a great one, and it's interesting. As well, same team here now. Jordan Reed stepped in, and Jordan Reed actually had two touchdowns. We know the talents there. He's dealt with the concussions, of course. But if George Kittle sits one more week, would you roll Jordan Reed out again as as your starting tight end in, in season?al
1: Yeah, without having Jimmy G under center, I'm, I'm very, very you know hesitant, and I, I don't really want to take away from like Reed's like monster game. Uh, it was it was a perfect scenario for him. And, and hey, he delivered, you know, had a career type game. Uh, but I do see Kittle returning to the fold uh, very soon. It's just difficult for this offense, even with Jimmy Jimmy G to, to really support more than one like pass catcher. And so when you have like Nick Mullins under center, I think that's going to be even more of a challenge. So I could definitely see McKinnon and some of the other running backs getting more involved. But yeah, just not a guy I'm aggressively targeting.
2: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is Nick Mullen. I use the road of his game splits app here. Mm-hmm. Nick Mullins in nine games with George Kittle. I mean, you want to tell me that he, that he targets George Kittle. That's the move. 18.2 fantasy points per game, 6.3 receptions. Nine and a half targets, 97 receiving yards. So I don't know if you can just translate that to Jordan Reed, right? I don't know if that's like a one-for-one replacement. So listen, he had a great game last week, absolutely against the Jets. They're flying home. They're flying back cross-country again to play the Giants. Very questionable there. But if Kittle's in, I think you have to fire him up because it looks like, you know, without Debo, he right. He's gone for one more week. Kittle and and Mullins are going to have a pretty strong connection. Oh, yeah. Last one here, Dalton Schultz. Now, Eric, I'm mad about this one because in DFS, I missed it. I watched Dalton Schultz against the Rams. He dropped a ton of passes, a really critical pass on third down or second down as well before the Cowboys actually, I think, turned the ball over. It was right there. So I was not high on him coming into this week with DFS, but boy, was I wrong. He exploded. Blake Jarwin is out. Dalton Schultz, can you trust him moving forward? Whew.
1: It is a really tough one. I uh, my, my initial thought is no, and, and I'll kind of tell you why. I'm like the guy did step up, like you mentioned, Schultz stepped up in a big way. You know, nine receptions, 88 yards, and a touchdown. You know, against the Falcons, uh, I just don't see the Cowboys finding themselves in shootouts like every week. But here's here's what I can't escape escape from when it comes to Schultz is that I just see it being a challenge for him to find consistent target volume on a weekly basis. You know, this is a guy that's competing with Amari Cooper for targets, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb. That's where I really struggle. So, you know, again, not a guy that I aggressively am targeting like on waivers or recommending
2: others to do so as well. I got a question here from Thomas and Kate May. Mailbag is my go-to pot every week. Thank you, Thomas. I'm curious which 0-2 team Eric thinks is most likely to break through this week. So there's 11 teams out there, Eric, who are winless. Give me two that you think, you know, get off the schneid there and get their first win uh, in week three. Yeah, well, one team that
1: comes to mind uh, is, is, uh, is the Eagles, you know, Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I'm just thinking about the, the way that these first two games, you know, have gone. Uh, they've got a, a really good matchup uh, against the Bengals, you know, going against a uh, rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow, uh, you know, their defense. And so uh, this is like a really prideful football team. And, you know, things in the NFC East are up for grabs. I just really find it hard to believe that they're going to allow themselves to go 0 and 3. So I do think everyone will be siloed in and they'll get the W against the Bengals. Uh, the other team is Atlanta, which I'm just really kind of scratching my head just considering like the, the offense that they have generated i guess over these these last two weeks it, it's just, it's insane you know their defense is really really letting them down so i do believe their defense will end up stepping up and they'll get the win and they'll um go from being 0 and 2 to 0 and 3
2: Yeah. The thing that bothers me about Atlanta, Eric, is their offensive line. They're healthy this year. They invested a lot of money in the offensive line and they're not running the ball. If you can't run the ball against Dallas, when you put up big points and have huge positive game script in the second half with Todd Gurley, when are you running the ball? So I like Atlanta. They're explosive. I I do think Trubisky could self implode a little bit here on the road. So I do like them this week. It's just, I don't get it. Why aren't they running the ball?
1: Yeah, no, I had that similar observation to Mike. And I uh, you know, do do see them leaning more or at least trying to lean more like on Gurley. You know, money talks. I'm like, they, they brought him in, you know, they're paying him money. So I think they want to get the most return on their investment that they can. So Gurley is someone I, I do like as well, like from a, D, a DFS lens. Maybe a sneaky play for this week. So, yeah, I think we'll see more girly this week uh, in the Falcons offense.
2: The mailbag has become a cereal slash breakfast podcast. So what do you go to for breakfast in the morning? And if you still indulge in cereal, what's your go to?
1: Oh, you know, I love questions like this. So, hey, I'm a Cinnamon Toast Crunch, you know, kind of guy. That's the
2: one, Eric. It's dominating. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I buy stock in that, folks. It's dominating here across the last couple of months. It's so,
1: so, so good. I'm like, it's, you know, you get nice cold milk, Cinnamon Toast Crunch in there. But but I tell you, you want to know the ultimate breakfast, and and, and I'm I'm one of those guys that I, I do enjoy uh, cooking. I know before going off to college, it's like I'm not going to have you starve here. Let me sh- let me show you how to cook, and so uh, yeah. I cook like a lot of my mom's like recipes that she had. And so I'm telling you, if you're looking at the ultimate breakfast, and anyone's invited, you know, by the way, for this, I would say you know some thick cut kind of slab, you know, smoked bacon. You know, the the good stuff. And then I would say some soft scrambled eggs because you don't want to scramble them too quickly. You know, you want to have that skillet on low. And this is old school, like, you know, cast iron skillet, you know, type of stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. hey, I grew up in Alabama. I'm in Texas. Hey, that's just the kind of eating that we do down here. And um, I would have like some homemade hash browns and then like some homemade cinnamon apple coffee cake. None of that store bought junk. Homemade. Boom. This
2: is incredible. This is a great answer.
1: I know this. I I love cooking. Like in my household, every uh, every Saturday and Sunday, we call it like big breakfast. Saturday and Sunday, so I try to make like a, a breakfast like that. It's kind of more like a brunch because you know you're so full after you really don't need lunch. But um, you know, I try to make a meal like that for the family uh, at least every Saturday or Sunday.
2: The big breakfast is efficiency of time. You don't need the lunch then. You you have to spend time analyzing get ready for Sunday. I love it. Perfect. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities, whether they're our corner stores or coffee spots or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. So right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So it's time for us to return that favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless. Visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Buy or sell now, Eric. I'm going to give you some players here. Are you buying or selling based on the positive or negative performances? Naim Hines exploded week one, two touchdowns. Week two, ghost town. Now Paris Campbell out, so Naim Hines. Coach came out this week said we have to get him the ball. Where are you seeing him with Jonathan Taylor?
1: Yeah, just with the the, the hype surrounding Taylor, I'm like as soon as Hines has like a really productive game, he's someone you know that I'm selling. At least uh, as an outsider looking in, it's kind of more of a scenario where you know he's going to be more game plan specific. You know Taylor out touch Hines twenty eight to one you know, as he sees like really complete control of this backfield. And so that, that's, that's my approach with Hines.
2: Kenyon Drake, uh, he tweeted this week, folks, if you don't like it, get rid of me, give me to somebody else. They're going to enjoy it. Two tough matchups for the Cardinals early on, 49ers. And of course that Washington front seven is lethal. Kenyon Drake, you think he's going to bounce back here? I remember saying at the beginning of the year with, uh, on the mailbag, you know, he's never had more than like 830 rushing yards off to a slow start, but you still have confidence in him?
1: I do. Yeah, I do like Drake quite a bit. You know, I'm I'm, I'm buying, uh, you know, if someone's willing to trade him. I'm like, he's averaged 20 opportunities per game uh, this season so far. I'm like, the Cardinals offense do face the Lions defense this week. You know, they just allowed like Aaron Jones to score, was it like 45 PPR points uh, against them, you know, last week. And so he's yep. still the bell cow. He's still the workhorse, whatever you want to call it. He's still going to be actively involved. And so I think we'll see that come to fruition with a big, uh, big fantasy point you know, drop, uh, you know, in week
2: three. Sammy Watkins up in the air here for this big game on Monday night against the Ravens. But Miko Hartman, I would say, Eric, a little disappointing on Hartman so far. Not really a huge part of the offense, has the speed, has the big, you know, play splash ability, but not all the leagues are best ball. We're talking about seasonal. So can people have confidence in starting Miko Hartman? And if so, do you stash him or drop him?
1: Yeah, hey, if you've got the space, you know, you want an inexpensive piece of the Chiefs offense, but he's a guy, you know, that I'm fading. You know, you got to think about the presence of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, but also, too, uh, Andy Reid likes to kind of filter targets to his running backs as well. But you look at Tyreek Hill. I like, mean, he's averaged 7.5 targets over his last 14 games. Kelsey, on the other hand, has averaged 8.7 targets per game over his last 18 games. Now, Harden, uh Hard Hardman. Harden. Harden, Harden. Harden. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to need like one of them to miss time, really, to become fantasy relevant. You know, there's only so many targets that that go around in the Chiefs' offense. So you know, he's a guy that I'm okay with holding if you've got the the space. But then again, if you got to drop him, you got to do what you got to do.
2: The post-type sleeper team for me was the Browns, particularly Baker Mayfield had the record there for touchdown passes as a rookie last year. Disaster. Baker Mayfield big game against the Bengals. He hooked up with OBJ on a bomb. Can he start coming around now for Cleveland?
1: I I don't see it. Uh, You know, he just looked really, you know, really rattled, uh, you know, in in week one, uh, you know, against the Ravens. And I, I didn't really like what I saw last week. I'm like, it was a better performance, especially from a fantasy lens, but he's still like the same quarterback to me. I'm like, he's a guy that can thrive like in a favorable matchup. But again, going back to when we were talking about guys like Gardner Minshew and other quarterbacks being readily available, I just think there's so many other viable streaming options, you know, that I'd rather go to battle with in fantasy football.
2: Yeah, that's totally fair. And now Tyler Higbee, last one, Tyler Higbee, huge explosion there against the Eagles, touchdowns galore. Where are you on him?
1: As far as, like, Higby, I'm like, the the hype, you know, is justified. So uh, I guess those on Twitter and just those just casually chatting that were kind of anti-Higby, I'm like, you know, that crew was wrong. I'm like, he has a great rapport, you know, with Jared Goff. I'm like, we've seen that. You look at Higby, I'm like, he's averaged 9.3 targets and 20 PPR fantasy points per game over his last seven games. He has 65 targets over that time frame, which ties Travis Kelsey. Higby leads all tight ends over that time frame as well with 616 receiving guards. And so his production is putting him on that upper echelon with guys like Kelsey, you know, Ertz, Mark Andrews. And so I'm like, this is a guy that's really showing or turning out to be a nice return on investments that those are able to get him. And one of those middle rounds was he going like between the fifth and seventh round, I believe. Yeah. 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 So, sure. yeah, you know, I, I like it. You know, love it
2: going to give you the big debates here on the mailbag, Eric, two players, same team, same position. People want to know who do you like rest of season? So who do you think is going to score more rest of season? Let's stay in Cleveland there. We talked about Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Uh big game for both of them on Thursday. But Chubb seems to be phased out of the passing game and then Hunt can go MIA when Chubb's doing well. So which one do you like here rest of the season?
1: Yeah, I do prefer uh, Hunt. you know his receiving ability you know to your point is something that is going to differentiate him from Chubb. And also the Browns did sign him to an extension. you know money tops, so Hunt will continue to see opportunities and be a key contributor to this backfield, you know, in my
2: opinion. You know, heading up to Buffalo, Zach Moss, not a guy I liked when he came out of college. But then as I started to do more research and listen to what was being said, I think he's got a big upside in Buffalo. Devin Singletary still there, but Moss is given every opportunity to sort of grab this backfield moving forward. And Josh Allen is opening up the offense. Stefan Dix is finally being used as he should have been in Minnesota. He's a constant part of the offense here. Which running back you like in Buffalo? Moss or Singletary?
1: Yeah, I was, this was a tough one, uh, for me. You know, I'm, I'm leaning more towards, uh, Singletary and you he kind of here's why. And I, I'm a big Zach Moss guy too. You, you look at, um, Singletary, you know, he's out touch Moss so far this season. He's more valuable, at least in my opinion, as of right now, just due to his ability to, I would say, create yards, uh, out in space, and then as a receiver, you know, like out of the backfield. One thing with this offense, too, with Josh Allen, and I know they'll have a test, you know, for this week to see if this trend continues, but he currently ranks fifth with 81 pass attempts uh, per game, or 81 pass attempts on the season, excuse me, uh, which they're allowing him to kind of open things up even more, which I think helps uh, Singletary, you know, more than Moss, you know, both backs will continue to be involved, you know, Singletary and Moss complement each other very well. And one thing with Moss that could prevent him from kind of quote unquote bell cow duties is that his injury history, if you look back in college. And so again, these two are made for each other in the running back by committee landscape, but uh, I do prefer Singletary.
2: Next one here, James Conner, Benny Snell. Now, I'm basically asking you if Conner's going to stay healthy because we saw when Conner's healthy, he's going to get fed. But I've been saying for years, and this goes back to Le'Veon Bell, it doesn't matter who the running back is there. That offensive line and that scheme, they feed one guy, usually performs. So if Conner goes out, Snell's going to be great. I guess I'm asking you, do you believe that James Connor's going to stay healthy enough that he can be with? what he is now, an RB1 in that Steeler offense.
1: Yeah, no, I do agree with you, Mike. You know, I'm going to go with uh, Connor here. To your point, the Steelers do prefer to kind of lean heavily on one guy. And, you know, I do believe that Connor, after last season, and, you know, the, you know, these guys are – you know they're all on social media, you know Instagram, Twitter, and things. Yeah, you know, they they know the things that are being said about them out there. And so I think what Connor is a guy that's you know mentally and physically prepared, you know, to take the challenge on. And I do believe he'll be successful. You know, he'll still he's still, uh, excuse me, he'll stay healthy this season, and uh, he'll make it happen.
2: Next one, I'm gonna give Julio Jones blasphemy here, Eric. <laughs> Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley, has that time arrived? Oh man! You didn't answer right away. That tells me all I need to know. It,
1: it, it does because <laughs> my my instinct says the time has arrived, and it's here's why. It's it's not necessarily because you know Julio is like washed. I'm like you know, given someone that's his age, I'm like there's still a history of fantasy success, especially for wide receivers like Julio that broke out early to be productive like into their 30s. But one thing with Ridley, where He he benefits from lining up, you know, outside on the other side of the field from Julio. Is that I'm like really shaping up to be the better value? I'm like opposing defenses are like, okay, we got to stop Julio Jones, and who's our top number one cornerback who can who can take him head on. You okay? You go over there. You're going to get Julio, but then you've got uh, not necessarily scrubs, but you've got lesser competition at the cornerback position. You know that's matching up against Ridley, and Ridley is an early round pick. I'm like, you know, he thrived in Alabama and has done well. Uh, likewise of Julio Jones, and then Amari Cooper. We've had a recent run of Alabama receivers, you know, showing success at the next level. And you're looking at basically kind of two number one receivers that are going out there, and you've got the one that's the quote unquote quotation fingers number two. Who's just gonna be able to just dice the competition? So yeah, I, I would I would dare say Calvin Ridley.
2: <laughs> and up in Seattle, the big debate, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. I feel like this is very polarizing here. We know it's gonna be Metcalf in Dynasty, but this year, rest of season, who do you got?
1: I got Metcalf. And you know, Lockett and Metcalf they have a similar number of targets but Metcalf does have more air yards through two games. And his yards after the catchability is also underrated as well. It's eerily similar to uh, Tyler Lockett. But I do like Metcalf uh, for the rest of the season, especially how they're letting Russ, quote-unquote, cook.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. And he showed great uh, separation there against the Patriots, getting wide open at times. So Metcalf, a lot of those uh, concerns coming out of the combine were were not, not founded because he looks tremendous. Question here from Antonio in Boston. How do you handicap the Rams backfield? Thanks for all the great insight. So Malcolm Brown shows out here. It's at the point now, Eric, where every first game, Malcolm Brown's going to have two touchdowns. He did it last year. He did it this year, but he had a bit of an injury. Akers goes out a couple plays into the game. Here comes Daryl Henderson, who we've all talked about and wanted to pop. It looked like he wasn't going to, and he has a big performance. So where are you Leaning here in the Rams' backfield, rest of season.
1: <laughs> this is the stuff that migraines are made out of for fantasy. <laughs> 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 Give me the Tylenol and Advil, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a very very difficult like situation. I, I still stand by. Uh, going like with acres because again they already had Malcolm brown like on the roster you know they had Daryl Henderson they wouldn't have drafted cam acres if they didn't feel like they needed to add someone to this backfield you know or or uh, or they weren't just comfortable with what, what they had I, I still stand by that and they gave up a lot of draft capital considering the picks that they had available to land acres I think it's one of those scenarios where you do have to be patient it is going to take some some time for acres to kind of get his bearings at the NFL level and you got to take into account too. This is probably the Probably going to be the most unique offseason that the NFL has ever had, you know, with COVID-19, especially for a rookie, too. You're transitioning from college, going to the NFL, and then I'm not able to interact with my team. I'm doing like Zoom meetings, trying to learn the playbook, you know, trying to, you know, all these different things. The draft was on Zoom. And so it's just it's going to take him some time. But I still believe by midseason and later into this season, you know, he is going to be positioned to be a be a difference maker uh, for fantasy players. So I, I guess that's my take on the backfield and have a quote unquote handicap it.
2: My favorite question, and all the guests have loved it, can you give a shout out and thank a teacher, someone in your K-12 years that had a huge influence on you as a person or student, someone that made a difference in your life? Keep the positive mojo going here, Eric. Who do you want to thank?
1: Yeah, so many uh, influential teachers uh, for me uh, growing up, and I uh, attended a, a Catholic school in uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, St. Ignatius. So, if anyone's out in that area, great, great school. Still have very fond memories to this day. I would have to say it was my third grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Kane. I, I think the the big takeaway for me is that I'm like she kind of exposed our class to a lot of very like unique things that uh, I still remember a lot to this day, like you know, in third grade, can you imagine watching uh, like Ben-Hur, you know, Charleston Heston? She was a huge Charleston Heston fan, by the way. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like watching like a movie like Ben-Hur. I haven't even seen the remake. I heard it was terrible. I'm sure it is. But, you know, being exposed, you know, to uh, to films like Ben-Hur, you know, the um, you know, the Ten Commandments and uh, just other things like that. um, And I still kind of look fondly back on those years just with the the, the kind of things that she did expose us to, especially when it comes like the film and movies and, and that sort of thing. It was a, a big part of her personality, and she tried to bring that into her teaching uh, any way uh, any way that she could. So, yeah, I'll say Ms. Kane.
2: All right, we're going to hit the Millie maker this week, Eric. So I got my pencil and paper out here. I want a sneaky DFS play for each position. So a guy, a QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Let's start with the signal callers. Who do you see here sort of a cheap option that you think could have a real high ceiling? Yeah, I do like
1: the value that uh, Ryan Tannehill is bringing to the table. I'm like, he showed us a lot last week, you know, despite having to play without AJ Brown, who's dealing with the knee issue, uh, you know, versus the Jaguars, he
2: had a phenomenal yeah, touchdowns.
1: Yeah, I'm like, you know, 239 passing passing yards, four touchdowns. So he was he was on fire, and I think a lot of people going into this year were thinking that okay, he can't continue to be you know as efficient as he has been, but he is he's proving everyone wrong. Uh, so I would say even if uh Brown is sidelined again, which could impact you know his ownership percentages, we'll see. But I think Tannehill is going to be an appealing option, you know, against the Vikings defense that has allowed what 71 points through two games now? Yep. Yeah, so that's a guy I like.
2: Yeah, it does not look good at all. Mike Zimmer, it's an 0-2 team, but they haven't been able to stop anyone. So if they win that game, it looks like there's gonna be some points up there, which is great for Ryan Tannehill. He's made some really yeah. impressive throws, watched him on the Game Pass the other day. How about mm-hmm. running backs here? Who's a running back uh, guy you see with a big upside in week three?
1: Yeah, for, for some reason, when I look at the the value – uh, you know, like a DraftKings fan duel of uh, David Montgomery. I'm still kind of scratching my head. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that I think is undervalued, that can still provide you with an RB1 uh, type of performance, you know, like he did uh, last week. I know he was someone that I was very high on in my uh, column at The Athletic, you know, under the radar for where he was on the running backs, you know, I talked about last week. And it was just nice to kind of see him, you know, go boom. Uh, last week. And so I think he could do it again this week. Uh, I know some folks were concerned about the groin injury, you know, during training camp, he was able to play in week one, uh, but he was only on the field for around like 45% of the bears, offensive snaps. Now week two brought like another injury scare where he left the game temporarily with, you know, with the the neck injury, which I don't know what he's thinking on that play, whole nother conversation, but the, um, you know, the good news, you know, for, for him and the bears is that he was able to return and he thrived, you know, 127 total yards and a touchdown. So, I think as long as he stays healthy, which, you know, we're trending that direction. And again, he's facing a Falcons team that I'll be very transparent on this. This, this group may be the worst defense in the league. And so this is, a, this is another scenario where, where I do see Montgomery able to thrive.
2: That's very fair. What about receiver? Wide receiver starting three there in DraftKings, of course. Who's a guy you're targeting this week?
1: Can I cheat and give you two real quick?
2: Of course, more is better. I got a pencil here, of course.
1: All right. So I really do like uh, Jerry Judy, you know, with the opportunity that uh, that he has ahead of him, you know, just being able to get those additional targets and uh, really make things happen. He's a nice value, in my opinion. But also, too, with the unfortunate injury news to uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, don't forget about uh, Darius Slayton, too. You know, this is a receiver that has 15 targets over the first two games, and this is someone that they may lean on even more as uh, the Giants and Daniel Jones look to kind of carry on, you know, without Saquon Barkley. So those are two guys I really like that are really good values,
2: in my opinion. You know, that's a great one. I used the road of his screener and I put it together to try to see. I was curious how many wide receivers had a higher touchdown rate than Darius Slayton over the first couple of years of his career. And if you look at it, there were not many. So I I looked Mm -hmm. at the road of his screener. So the only players with an equal or higher touchdown rate to Slayton in their first two seasons as an NFL wide receiver since 2000 are Odell Beckham, Marcus Colston, and Martavius Bryant. So Slayton is a great call. And if Sterling Shepard is out there you know, with a, with no Saquon Barker, like you said, the passes are going to go up. I think that's a real good call, especially coming off a bad week. You may have low ownership. And finish it off here for tight end. Who do you like?
1: Yeah, for me, one guy that's really dirt cheap is uh, Drew Sample. Uh, I know Joe Burrow has shown that he does like to target his tight ends uh, early and often. And I know uh, we have, you know, who's out for the season, CJ uh, Uzuma. But you think about sample. Um, like he racked up, what was it, like seven receptions for 45 yards. Now, you look at the Eagles. I know they've only allowed like nine receptions to tight ends this year, you know, but four of them have gone for touchdowns, which is the highest mark in the NFL. So I do like, I do like sample is a, a really low-cost value. Uh, who could obviously outperform, you know, his costs in DFS. And typically tight end, unless you're going all in with guys like Kelsey and, you know, some of those uh, more expensive options. I'm like, it's it's generally a good place to kind of spin down anyway. So I do like Drew Sample a lot this week.
2: Yeah, he got peppered with targets on that Thursday night game in the fourth quarter. Anybody who played daily DFS was probably thrilled if somehow they had him in as a very cheap option. But certainly mm-hmm. he's going to get open. And like you said, uh, Eagles are allowing touchdowns here at alarming rate to tight ends. Time for a redraft lightning round. Give me the better PPR play for week three here. Let's start. Odell Beckham broke through. Is he going to keep it going at home against Washington or Adam Thielen looking at a bounce back there at home against Tennessee?
1: Going with Odell Beckham here.
2: Every week, Eric, I ask it. It's never going to go away. Cooper Cup or Robert Woods, both, against, uh, both up there against the Bills?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Robert Woods here.
2: Tight end more likely to keep the breakout going. I just tweeted it out this morning. Our overall tight end one is Johnu Smith. Johnu, of course, at the Vikings there. Or Logan Thomas, who's had a fantastic target share as basically the the second option behind Terry McLaurin. They are at Cleveland. Cleveland's second most points allowed to tight ends last year and now in 2020. Yeah, I'm going to go with Juno Smith here. And battle of the big Week three matchup, Marquise Brown on that Monday night football game at home against the Chiefs, or Tyreek Hill, of course, one of the top fantasy wide receivers, but he's going against the best secondary in football.
1: Yeah, I'm going with Tyreek Hill here. I, I do believe the Chiefs will, will have something to prove after they kind of started off a little bit slow against the Chargers, so I'm going with Tyreek Hill.
2: Two of the movies I love, Memento and Seven. I love those sort of surprising ending twist movies. Is there one you have, man, a go-to movie that you just love the ending?
1: Yeah, it, it's one film, and I'll kind of go with the Christopher Nolan film. You know, for me, it's the uh, the Prestige. You know, you think about yes, um,
2: good one. Yeah. I just, I just,
1: lo- I just love that movie. I saw it in the theater. I was like, Damn, that's a good movie. But you know, the you know, you think about the plot. You now you've got rival, you know, um, illusionists, you know, magicians, uh, Robert Angier and uh, Alfred Bort. Trying to think of their names. Aggressive <laughs> so pull yeah, that's you know? yeah, good. So they, uh, you know, they attempt to, the, you know, hey, I'm going to outdo this guy. Uh, you know, I'm going to outdo him. It keeps going back and forth, and it just escalates. And so they really want to be like, or have, I guess, like the perfect illusion in, uh, I believe it was 19th century London. And so when you get to the end of the film and, and you get to the twist, spoiler alert, <laughs> it's yeah, for where yeah. where you find out that like Borden is actually like two people, you know, twins to be exact which kind of makes you think back through the entire film. Okay. That's how they pulled off so many of their tricks. Meanwhile, I'm like, you've got Angier who is really, I guess what's the right word? Like his moral compass has just gone like off the rails. Yep. And so he ended up like
2: consume with it. Yep.
1: Yeah. Essentially. And it it kind of turns the tide because you're thinking, Oh no, you know, Borden's the bad guy, but then it really ends up being uh, Angier, you know, a Hugh Jackman's character for where he's basically, Kind of using the tech from uh, Nikolai Telsa uh, to help clone himself, and then each time he does that trick, I'm like he's killing his clones each time he does it. And so once you get to the end and you have that reveal, it's like your mind's like blown. You're like, oh man, that's just nuts. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of like TV and film. Um, that's something you know I do have. I would would love to have an opportunity to kind of write more about, <laughs> you know, but obviously do the football thing. But yeah, the prestige is one that came to my mind.
2: All right. Well, since you're talking about looking ahead in illusions and illusions and magic. Give me the hot week four waiver wire pickup. So who's the guy this week that people are going to be like, you know, I got to pick him up here. Who's the guy who's sort of under the radar, who you think is going to be the big pickup in week four after week three has to it?
1: Yeah, we were talking about uh, this player earlier, but I, I do believe it will be uh, KJ Hamler. Yeah, I think this is a guy that we're going to be talking more about uh, on Sunday going into Monday for the, the next bout of uh, waiver wire.
2: And last question here man this has been great stuff. I'm asking the cut the cord question. So who's the early round draft pick, round 1, round 2 guy who right now you're saying, "Look, you got to get out from under him now because it's not going to get any better." Everybody talks about buy low, sell high, but sometimes you have to sell low because it can still go lower. So who's the cut the cord guy for you here early on that you're worried about?
1: Oh man, this was a uh, yeah, I was I was thinking kind of hard about this one. So talking about in the uh so it doesn't have to be like an early round pick. It can really just be anyone.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. T- typically, a guy who who you know people are going to hold on to those players they've invested a lot in early. So I'm looking, yeah. yeah te- technically, a first or second round guy, somebody you're really concerned about that you're like, you know what, it's time move on because if you keep him, he's just gonna he's going to disappoint the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, and this this may not be a, a guy that was in the uh, like in the first or second, but just. For for some reason, I just I constantly think about like Melvin Gordon for some reason.
2: Okay, okay, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. I just you know I think about him and the uh, situation you know that he's in with the Broncos, and then with not having Drew Lock that's there. I just I, I just a guy I think that'll end up kind of disappointing. But I was kind of really at a loss on this one, surprisingly, just trying to think of. uh who is someone. And, and I guess part of it is the reason being is that I like to let things marinate like a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not to cut the cord like too quickly. Cause you ever had that, those guys that you've uh, had on your fantasy teams for where you kind of make a, a rash decision, you trade them too soon or you cut yep. them and they end up going boom, the second half of the season. So I've always tried to be a little bit more disciplined with just kind of letting some things play out to see if the title end up changing. So I think that may be why I'm kind of really struggling with this question.
2: <laughs> Eric, I took Nick Chubb a few years years ago and held him and held him and held him. And yeah. literally I dropped him one minute. I still have a picture of the waiver time stamp before uh-huh. Carlos Hyde was traded. One minute, I never got him back. So patience is the key. It's just a very hard thing to do, especially if early on, you're 0-2 you know, across the board. Yeah. Folks, Eric Moody, amazing stuff, covers so many great things. I mean, I am still want to come down to Texas there and join him for breakfast. Staff writer for The Athletic <laughs> Fantasy, co-host of The Athletic Fantasy Football Pod, 4 for 4, fantasy data, guys all over the place. Have to follow him on Twitter, at Eric and Moody. Eric, that was great, man. Covered so much stuff. Prestige and uh, eggs and bacon. Sounds great.
1: no no absolutely sounds like uh, sounds like a good time watch your prestige and you have a have a big breakfast but no mike just want to thank you again uh you know always happy to come onto the rotoviz mailbag pod always happy to help and again always down to talk about uh fantasy football so until next time my friend
2: oh perfect thanks thank you for listening to rotoviz radio please rate and review the podcast on itunes under the fantasy football mailbag a rotoviz radio feed Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. The wait is finally over, folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From the game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else.